When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. City of Chronicles is a Bay Chronicles production. Okay, welcome to the City of Chronicles Q&A questions. This is the episode in which we answer all the questions that have come in to us. Remember, if you do want to do this, our Twitter handle is at SeriaCronPod. Please, please message us your questions and we will try to get to them. Hello, Nikki. How are you? I know it's been a while. It's been a whole three minutes since I last spoke to you. <laughs> it's been so long. Let's start off with the first question. I'm going to throw it to you. Since we are in international weeks um, and we are poor little Italy is really struggling to yet again qualify for the World Cup, would a World Cup every three years be a fair compromise for those wanting it every two years? Asks Daniel Rodriguez from Waterford, from Waterford, Connecticut. Thank you, Daniel. I mean, now, right now, I'd like a World Cup every year, to be honest with you. So what do you think, Nikki? It's just constant World Cups. I think the important thing is not how often they are, but just that there's some setup that allows Italy to qualify because <laughs> we're finding it hard at the moment. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just think four years feels right to me. Um, would it be a fair compromise to those wanting every two years? I suppose it sounds better to me than every four, than every two years because it's, I just, I really, my main issue with the t- every two years is that I think it will um, cheapen the meaning of the World Cup. What I love about the World Cup is because they're so spaced out, when you get to a World Cup, when it rolls around, it feels like such a big event. And I think if you're having them all the time, you lose some of that. Now, I do think this conversation is really interesting around the World Cups because living in Europe, I've heard almost nothing but universal condemnation for the idea of more of, of having the World Cup more often, having them every two years. And 
when you have these conversations, people talk about it like it's a completely unthinkable idea that no one would get behind. And I think that that is a very Europe-centric outlook. And actually, if you went and talked to people in different continents, in different countries, you would find support for those uh, more um, regular World Cups because for smaller nations, uh, they can be such a financial boon for their football associations. And having a system that allowed more teams to qualify would be spreading the wealth more. And that stuff all gets really, really complicated. And I feel like I can't represent the views of those people very well because I'm not the person who feels that way. The way that I feel is that selfishly, I love a World Cup every four years. I think that's just the right amount of time. And I like the fact that they are rare enough that they feel like a big event. Three years, I can see as a compromise from two. But I also think that's just, again, selfishly, in my own logic, I don't like three years as a number. I like four years as a number. It splits into nice, easily memorable distances. Three years is going to confuse me. So that's my selfish answer. But I can see how it's a compromise between four and two. Nikki's discriminating between even and odd numbers. So she doesn't like your... (laughs) I am. I am. She likes rounded numbers. (laughs) I don't want to have to remember 15, 18, 21. That's too confusing. Round numbers. Um, Okay. So... Here's the thing, what I, everyone says, well, you know, you have the Champions League every year and that's never cheap in the product. Like everyone loves watching the Champions League and it's still one of the best competitions, you know, certainly for club football, it's at the top of the top, right? But what I love so much about international. It's no World Cup. Yeah, you're right. It isn't. Because what's so important with the World Cup is that there are, I mean, there are always going to be heroes, right? But it is a generation. It's almost like a new generation every four years. It's like, complete change so that you don't have sort of running narratives it's it's almost like when you watch the champions league it's like you're watching a netflix show which just continues on you know and it's just a series that you just continue to watch whereas the world cup is like a whole new show every four years it's like a whole new bunch of heroes to love Uh, and it's about the game the how they've evolved, how they've changed rather than there being a running thread of course you know you'll always have like those players that stay with the team and play forever like your Buffons, your Ronaldos. But generally speaking, what I love about it is that it's just, you know, it's the hope of a new generation, right? And and it's like you almost look back on your memories and and think, ooh, 2016, 2020, you know, two, or, or whatever it is, like as in four years in between. Of course, I've just gone through all the Euro dates, but never mind. <laughs> yeah. But I also agree with the point that this is a very European view, and everyone should be able to, I mean, if Italy are just going through the heartbreak of not qualifying, imagine you are from a small nation and your chances are so slim that you don't even have the chance of going to a playoff, you know? And and for them, the joy of being able to face it, teams like Argentina, Lionel Messi or Brazil and or like, you know, Germany are so exciting that obviously they would want it every two years. Um I can totally understand that, but this is always going to fall on your own selfish point of view. It's always about what serves you. And for me, I love the Euros and I love the World Cup and I want to be able to enjoy them with gaps in between because I feel like it gives me something to look forward to. If it's just on all the time, I don't feel like anything that's not scarce 
is enjoyable. And, and the more that you make something difficult to get, the more it became, becomes something that you're desperate to get. Do you know, I think you've, you've really hit a nail on the head for me there, Mina, about the World Cup is something that, like, is a landmark in our lives. I, I really feel like when I think about World Cups, I'm thinking about where I was in my life at those times, yeah. who I was with, exactly. you know, what was happening. And, and actually that is, that's what gets diminished when you, um, when you make them more often, you lose that magic of, oh yeah, in 94, I was a kid and I was with my family in the square and I remember the scenes. That and, too. <laughs> yeah. If it was every year, I don't remember where I was, I, I barely remember who was in the last Champions League final. I'm exaggerating. I agree. Bit, but I, I don't I remember where I was for every Champions League final, whereas I do remember World Cup. So I think that's a really, really good explanation of, of how I feel about it as well. Should I get another question? I think we've, we've got that one. I think so. Okay, Mina. The next question we've got here is from Interdave at Argentalia90 on Twitter, who is also asking a World Cup themed question. Why does everyone want to talk about the World Cup? World Cup's stupid anyway. No one, no one likes the World Cup <laughs> today. Um, in 2010, we saw one of the biggest World Cup snubs ever when Maradona left both Zanetti and Cambiesso off the Argentina side after each of them had one of their best seasons of their career coming off a triple win. What are some other massive Serie A World Cup snubs? Okay, into Dave um, from Canada. Hello. This is a difficult one because... Okay, into Dave. I'm really, ha- I'm really struggling with this one because there's just a lot, frankly speaking. I'm going to say to you, my heart would say Badger in 2002 because for me, Badger was the king of kings. I mean, the divine ponytail, my first memory, my first... I mean, in 1990, I remember the Cornetto song more than I remember the football. <laughs> I, I was very young. Um, so for me, it was like my older sister talking about the fact that we can't support Pavarotti because he cheated on his wife. <laughs> And that was like the only thing we ever spoke about in the household. That's my memory of 1990. Um, But 94 for me, like Baggio just made football like him, Bebeto Romario, like that was just, it was just an exquisite, exquisite World Cup. And him not playing in 2002 broke my heart. But 2002 in general broke my heart because that was just the greatest World Cup squad I think Italy ever had. And for them to have been so cruelly disposed of for me by poor refereeing errors, obviously, that have been spoken about nonstop. But I think that was probably the biggest one. But I would also say Castaraghi in 1998, not because he was the world's greatest player, but because he was the only player I fancied the pants out of. And um, and he scored the goal to qualify Italy in the playoff with Russia. And I just felt like for such a good-looking icon of a man, should have had the chance <laughs> you know the one the only footballer I've ever stalked in every single way possible you know oh, I hope he never hears this oh my god what about you Nikki <laughs> oh Mina we uh absolutely can relate to and understand falling in love with a uh, young Pierluigi Casaraghi <laughs> but obviously the greatest snub in Italian World Cup history was Giampiero Ventura snubbing going to the World <laughs> Cup. Um, but uh, the next one I've got after that, uh, I shouldn't make that joke right now because Italy are on the brink again. On the brink. But um, 
actually, funnily enough, <laughs> funnily enough, um, one of the ones that um, comes straight to mind with this question is actually Roberto Mancini, uh, who, you know, this is one of his sort of great career regrets is that he never actually got to play in a World Cup. Um, and he didn't get the call up in 1994 because as a uh, young I think as a teenager it would have been when he was that when he went on this trip. As a teenager, he'd gone with the Italian national team on a mini tournament to America. He had gone out in Manhattan. He'd gone to Studio 54, and he didn't have permission to do that. And uh, he, uh, Arigasaki, dropped him from the national team, and so he missed out on the chance to go to uh, the World Cup in 1994. And what's tragic about it is many, many years later, uh, as sort of both moved on with their careers and their lives, when they talked to each other, Saki said to him, I was just waiting for you to come and apologize. Like if you'd come and apologize to me in all these months between that happening and the tournament, you would have been, you would have been caught up, but he didn't do it and he didn't go. And the rest is history. You know what, Indy, I really like this question. Um, in, in the sense that, you know, obviously there are some really big snubs, but I think there are other things that really bother me about the World Cups. You know, it is it is discussions like this where pride gone in the way of us seeing Mancini in the World Cup, you know, whether it was his pride or Arigo Saki's pride. If you are somebody who listens to me frequently, you'll know that despite the fact that I thought Saki was a genius as, as a Milan tactician of the century, he talks way too much. And the way that he... <laughs> says the person who speaks way too much. Um, but I do feel like the way that he treated Roberto Baggio after that penalty that, you know, against Brazil in the final, that for me is something that I never sat well with me. I never felt like he, I loved how the team crowded around um, Jorginho when he, you know, skied that penalty against Switzerland. I feel like that matters. You know, I love how Inter embraced Dumfries because of, of the mistake he made, you know, like I love team unity and I love the coach being part of that. The way that Kajer, when he's on duty with Denmark is talking about Stefano Pioli being a father. I love great coaches. And for that, I love the way that Mancini talks to his players. I hate when there are problems that are so silly for me. And I just, the way that I, I Baggio was treated afterwards for me, I think that was always the biggest thing. It's not 2002. That was a brilliant squad. I mean, Trapattoni had a lot of choices that he had to make at the time. And it was, you know, what he, what he settled on was just a fantastic group of players. And so while it was a snob to obviously not have the divine ponytail included, it is somewhat understandable. But what I've really always hated are just the mini arguments that you get sometimes between coaches and players or things that just didn't work out. And you feel like that's a real shame. Like that is a real, real shame. So there's been, there's been quite a few. Yeah. 2002 bad Joe is, is a completely different situation. Yeah. That you had a young Alessandro Del Piero, you had Francesco Totti and as great as bad Joe still was, I think it was an it was an understandable squad selection decision to say, you know what, do we want this guy around overshadowing those two, treading on their toes, not letting them be the stars of the show just because he's more famous? And I, I actually understood that one, even though emotionally yeah. I yeah, was a bit sad about it. It's definitely different uh, to the other examples, I think. Okay, let's go on to something that's maybe not World Cup. 
Um, I'm actually going to, actually, this is worth noticing, n- noting just because we just talked about Del Piero and Totti. Here's a good question. And this comes from Camouflage Comedian from Portland, Oregon, who says, dumb question. It's not a dumb question. I think it's actually very good. But dumb question, Nikki and Mina, can you explain some of, can I just say I was about to say Marina? It's like I forgot my own name. (laughs) (laughs) It's reached that point. Yeah, it's reached that point. It's past midnight now and we're loopy. Can you explain some of the positional names specific to Capcho? I hear Regista, Mezzala, Trequartista, etc. Are these positions unique to Italy or are they Italian translations for universal football position? Thanks. Love the pod. We love you too. So you mentioned, you know, Del Piero, Totti, and then of course, you know, some great mm-hmm. examples when we were discussing this. So what is a Trequartista? What is a Regista? So. I, I actually think um, this is a really interesting question. So definitely not a dumb question, Camouflage Communion. I actually think it's a really interesting question because um, you know, I did grow up in a, a half Italian, half English household. And I think in lots of ways, language actually can influence our whole outlook of the world. I think having different words, even if they are used on the surface similarly, uh, the fact they are different can, can really affect how you view all sorts of things. And I think it certainly applies on the football pitch. So to, to look at the examples that, that you brought up in your question, translating them literally, first of all, regista means director, mezzala means half wing, and trequartista means three-quarterist, uh, literally. And each of those has um, obviously a, a corresponding meaning within football. So regista is the director because they sit in midfield and they direct the play. Um, traditionally, when you hear that, position regista, you will normally imagine someone sitting in, I guess, what has often been like the number six role, sitting at the back, the, the base of the midfield and, and directing play from there. When you get into different tactical evolutions at different times, there have been managers who've tried to have an advanced regista. So you might have someone more like Andrea Pirlo in the times of his career when he was playing in the not quite number 10 role, but he's playing further forward and still being asked to, to, to direct play. You might even have occasions when Juventus, for instance, experimented with trying to make Bonucci their regista because he can play well the ball out from the back um, and said, you know, you can direct play from back there. It didn't work out very well. But literally, that's what it means as a, as a director. And, and I think that is what that uh, denotes within football is that you're someone who directs the play. A great example of that regista would be an Andrea Pirlo, um, somebody who directs the, the flow of the game yes. from sort of the base of midfield. I feel like as well, Ver- Verratti was very much looked as a regista, but then actually he's better playing a little bit further forward. Um, so sometimes your position changes according to where you are. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, th- I think Andrea Pirlo is probably the perfect example. But go on, Mezzala. Yeah, I think um, I agree. Pirlo is probably the quintessential example of a regista. If you wanted some more modern ones, um, Brozovic is definitely a regista for Inter, yeah. um, for instance. Um, so that's more modern example. But Luka Modric at, at Real Madrid as well, it's someone else who, who plays that sort of role within their team. Metzala is a, a half wing, as I was saying before. This really sort of gets into where I think language really influences how the, the pitch is seen. You know, this is a way that the, the, the positions were broken down in, in conversations about Italian football going back for decades. And so you've got wingers, which I think lots of people who've watched football in England or uh, English languages are familiar with the idea of a winger. And the half wing, the mezzala, is 
literally somewhere between your regista and your mediano in the middle of the pitch and the wing. They are the half wings. And they generally have a box to box role that their role is normally to, to break the lines, to get forward from midfield and, and to, to break the lines of attack. And then also have the, um, the, 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 the legwork, I guess, of getting back and, and contributing defensively as well. So like readers, basically. And, sorry? Like readers, you know, like they, you create the gap for yeah. them to come in and then, yeah, score the goal. Quintessential examples. You, you said a few. I was saying uh, SMS for Milinkovic Savage right now. You noted a great one for Inter. Yeah, and Nicola Barella is the one that comes to mind for me as, as, as an obvious one within Italian football. I think that, for instance, in early iteration, Antonio Conte, Inter, you had a very clear demarcation of uh, Brozovic as your regista, and then you had Barella and Stefano Sensi, who's another Mazzala, on either side of him doing that box-to-box work. I think Paul Pogba, when he was at Juventus, was played very much as a Mazzala, and I think he was brilliant at it and perhaps has never quite been used in the same role again, partly because that concept of a Mazzala doesn't quite exist in English football in the same way. So. I think those are some um, some examples there. Can I say that with the Mazzala, Mazzalas have always shown a little bit more under Italian managers. Like I always think of Angel Di Maria. Mm. And I feel like Ange- under Ancelotti, he won player of like the final in the world, in the, in the Champions League final. I think it was against Atletico Madrid when, when they won the decima. And... It is that role because Carlo Ancelotti knows exactly how to play a Mazzala. Antonio Conte knows exactly how to play a Mazzala. So I wonder if that is a role that is better or, you know, you'll have a trequartista and you'll have a regista in any kind of football world, but whenever a Mazzala is a little bit more Italian or better used by Italian coaches. Yeah, I, I, I really think, I think that's true. Um, because I just don't think when I, I, when I look at English teams, maybe I'm seeing the world too much through language. I, I, I don't see, except when they've been Italian managers in the Premier League, I, I don't see that position existing in quite the same way. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point you phrased. I think it's, it's a very Italian concept, um, the half wing, and it is quite a specific thing. And Di Maria is another good example of someone who worked really well in that, in that type of role. Trequartista, uh, three quarters. This is the one that I think is most easily sort of translated into England because this really is number 10 traditional role. Although, actually, I say that and immediately I, I start to doubt myself because the three quarters is three quarters of the way up the pitch. It's between your midfield and attack. But when we talk about number 10s, I always imagine a number 10 being in the middle. A trequartista can be a trequartista on the right or on the left. So it might be in like a, a four two, three, one, for instance, you might describe the players on the right and the left of the three as trequartista, even though they are kind of wingers, kind of attackers, they're still playing in that three quarters. They're three quarters of the way up the pitch. They're between the midfield and the attack. So what their job is, is to link the midfield to the attack. I'm trying to think of like, obviously, I mean, in many ways, people, when I was younger, I used to see them as purely a playmaker, but they have to know how to bridge that gap. Would you say Lorenzo Pellegrini is the quintessential one right now in Serie A, like a, of a trequartista? Yeah, I think that's a really good example. Um, I don't know why all my examples are coming from Inter today, but the other one that came into my mind was Wesley Schneider, but not contemporary. Yeah. But yes, yeah. I think Wesley Pellegrini Schneider. is a really good example right now. Oh, well, look at you being an Inter fan and all. <laughs> okay. um, and- I, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to look like one. I'm starting to look like one, aren't I? <laughs> 
Well, meanwhile, producer Simon is in the into colours. <laughs> so much for him being a good Roma fan. <laughs> oh, it's the Italia shirt. Okay. They're Italy colours, but they happen to be. Well, that is all we've got time for on this edition of Seria and Chronicles Q&A. Get your questions in on Twitter at SyriacRompod with the hashtag Chronicles Q&A. Do it. Do it now. Whatever you're doing, <laughs> drop it, stop it, go write a question, send it in. I mean, don't if you've got no questions in your head, but if you've got a question in your head and you're thinking, oh, I've been meaning to ask that, we do, we do enjoy your questions. They're fun. Subscribe to Seria Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show. We've got all sorts of content going up there all the time. Find us both on Twitter at Nikki Bandini at Mini Rizuki. Leave us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Mina is gesturing to me right now, making sure they're good or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you feel you can and you want to, please consider supporting the show at seriachronicles.com forward slash supporter. We will see you guys on Monday when we'll have some Serie A football to talk about. We won't have to think about World Cup qualifying playoffs, at least for a few weeks, months. All right. See you then, gang. Ciao. I really need to learn to keep my mouth shut. I, I should have told you that. I also, you, I, used to, I used to walk around with a plaster on my cheek in homage to Nelly. <gasps> you didn't. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. Oh, do you have photos? Do you have photos? <gasps> no, no, and if there are, I've burned them again. God, I really loved him. Really loved him. <laughs> really thought we had a chance then. <laughs> yeah, I had um yeah, I've um had a, a weird childhood. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> Football, rap, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. There's still time, Mia, there's still time. You're not too late for their app career. Yeah, there is. No, I, I really think that, you know, I need to come up with something similar to um, On the Six by J-Lo, but <laughs> on the Piccadilly line. <laughs> I am going to shut up now. Okay, so... <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.